Whether it was owing to the action of the heavenly bodies, or whether, because of our iniquities, it was visited upon us mortals for our correction by the righteous anger of God, this pestilence, which had started some years earlier in the Orient, where it had robbed countless people of their lives, moved without pause from one region to the next until it spread tragically into the West. It was proof against all human providence and remedies, such as the employment of officials to the task of ridding the city of a much refuse, the banning of six visitors from outside, and a good number of sanitary ordinances. Equally unavailing were the humble petitions offered to the Lord by pious souls, not once, but countless times, whether in the course of processions or otherwise. As the sad year turned to spring, the plague began quite prodigiously to display its harrowing effects. No physician's prescriptions, no medicine seemed of the slightest benefit as a cure for this disease. In addition to those trained in medicine, the number of men and women who claimed to be physicians without having studied the subject at all grew immensely. However, whether it was the nature of the malady would not permit it, or because doctors were unable to discover its origins and therefore cannot apply the proper remedy. Not only did few people recover, but indeed nearly all the sick would succumb within three days of the above-mentioned symptoms. Some died sooner, some later, and the majority with no fever, nothing. And the plague gathered strength as it was transmitted from the sick to the healthy, through normal intercourse, just as a fire catches to a dry or greasy object placed too close to it. Nor did the trouble stop there. Now, with our city in such a sorry state, the laws of God and men had lost their authority, and fallen into disrespect in the absence of the magistrates to see them enforced, for they, like everyone else, had either succumbed to the plague, or lay sick or else had been deprived of their minions to the point where they were powerless. This it left everyone free to do precisely as he pleased. There were many others who adhered to a middle way between these two, neither following the frugal regimen of the first group, nor letting themselves go in the drunken, dissolute lifestyle of the second. They partook of their fill, but no more, and instead of shutting themselves away, they would go about holding flowers to their noses or fragrant herbs or spices of various kinds in the belief that such aromas work wonders for the brain, the seat of health, for the atmosphere was charged with the stench of corpses. It reeked of sickness and medication. Others there were who were totally ruthless and no doubt chose the safest option. There was in their view no remedy to equal that of giving the plague a very wide berth. On this premise, any number of men and women deserted their city and with it their homes and neighborhoods, their families and possessions, heedless of anything but their own skins, and made for other people's houses or for their country estates, at any rate, as though the wrath of God, in visiting the plague upon men to punish their iniquity, was never going to reach out where they were, as though it was meant to harry only those remaining within their city walls as though not a soul was destined to remain alive in the city, as though its last hour had come. Hello and welcome. I'm Douglas Bowles, and this is 42 Minutes, a podcast about meaning from SyncBook Radio and distributed by thesyncbook.com.
You can find us at 42 Minutes, and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com. You can also follow our tweets at Sync42 and at Syncbook. It's May 1st, International Workers' Day, and May Day, May Day. Today, the 42 Minutes Seasonal Book Club has been canceled. Well, that is, we really couldn't come to a decision as a group on what to read. And then we didn't even know if we wanted to read this spring. So I guess we're calling this one Dealer's Choice. Nonetheless, I still wanted to take this opportunity to talk about what I've been reading this spring. Tonight, I'll do so with Snore. If you recall, our last conversation, the Winter Book Club on House of Leaves, was recorded on Leap Day, February 29th, 2020. And what I've found is these podcasts have become strange quarantine journals. Hope you've all been doing okay. How are you doing, Zanor? Uh, good. I'm uh, I'm a bit bogged down. I've got to uh, I've got to start my job again in uh, in about a week, and it's all going to be online. So I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah, we've done that in my house. Or yeah, I've I've been there mentally. Yeah, so I don't envy you. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, it just seems, it, I don't know, it seems pretty pointless, actually. Um, but uh, I guess I have to do something, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Make the appearance of things being productive. Right, exactly. So speaking of productive... Um, so, I wanted to say that I like the book club because it offers a lens to look at things through. I like having a lens. Mm -hmm. And we often play, it, 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 synchronicity enters into it. So, the books are talking to themselves over time, but then also somehow they're interacting with, with our current moment too. Mm -hmm. Right? And so... That being said, I don't know if the rest of the, it feels like the group is starting to, you know, it comes and goes, and people are interested and they're not interested, and and so I definitely was at the beginning of this reading the Decameron, mm -hmm. which was interesting, and you know I would talk about it and share it, um, but then I ended up back in the House of Leaves. And I would talk about that and share that too. Um, but so that being said, I, I'm just thinking about in terms of if, if we wanted to try and do like a, a, a larger group spring conversation, um, it seems like we could probably get Alex to join in if, you know, we figured out when he was around. I think, like he said last time, he he must be delivering pizzas and getting home later than, you know, so like he's kind of a late night guy now. Mm -hmm. And then Dennis, I don't know. Cause it seems like uh, Dennis is interested in what he's interested in. So like, that's the thing I wanted to share is that for whatever reason, like a semester or a school, like the choosing one book for the season really focuses, like it points me at something that I can just sink my teeth into for a period of time. Sure. And I really enjoy that. Um, 
So I'm I'm itching to pick a book and and get started into the next one, but I just don't know if the interest is waning. That's what I'm saying. Um. Yeah, me too. I, I, the tunnel seems great. Like I, that seems like a good choice. Um, I'm willing to read that one. That's. Uh, but yeah, it'd be it would be better if we could get more people on with it. You know. So yeah, like, and I'm usually I'm trying to make choices based on like inclusion. You know, like trying to get more people, like things that are not going to alienate people. Like, you know, so like, uh, you know, what's a choice that would activate lots of people instead of, I mean, although I really like where we've been landing. Yeah, me too. I, I, like you said, it's, um, I've enjoyed this whole process of uh, these different books who already have a connection between them, like the authors have connections between them. And that's part of why we chose them. But uh it's been really interesting just to see how they they connect up, um, and it it feels like, as you said, um, we're creating this kind of I don't know like a meta text, like the whole the whole book club um, podcast thing is kind of creating this meta text for all these all these different books that we that we've chosen um, kind of speak to each other. So I think that's really interesting. Well. And that was the thing that if we would have landed on the Decameron, we we would have found that it was you know part of the the Western canon that influenced, um, like you could tell that Shakespeare was in there stealing things, and that it influenced Chaucer, and it influenced Cervantes. I didn't mm. I didn't read the whole thing. But it was interesting because it also, for my own little moment, it definitely, it's kind of like this, oh, the, you know, the the sexist male author mm. who says that he cares about women, but then also, you know, it's slightly frat boyish and rapey at the same time. The Decameron is like that? Yeah. The Decameron is nothing but just sex. It is sex, sex, sex. And it starts out, they're all like, you know, so the, the basically it's the Black Plague, right? And um, these young nobles go off into the country to get away from the plague. And when they get there, they decide to tell stories. And there's 10 of them, seven ladies and three guys. And... Um, they start out and they're all very prim and proper. And then one of the guys like tells kind of a blue off, you know, it's a kind of a raunchy story and they're like, Oh my, Oh my, you know, but then every story after that gets more and more raunchy. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it is just, it it was, it's really interesting because it's a different worldview that we can't fathom after the reformation, I think. Because it's just in that moment where everyone's dying, it's just you could tell that uh, the mores have changed. People are willing to party all night and, you know, go crazy. Yeah, um, there's a series of movies by Pasolini, the Italian uh, director. It's called 
it's called the trilogy of life and so he there are three there are three movies he did one for the canterbury tales um one for arabian nights and one for uh, the decameron and they're all supposed to be like that like uh sex and nudity and slapstick and and uh craziness like um i haven't seen any of them yet but uh, i'd like to uh, that'd be something if we wanted to uh might be easier just to talk about movies or something it, um, related to the text. Like somebody could read the text, and then we could watch watch these the series of movies. Um, but apparently, they're yeah, they're all pretty raunchy. Yeah, <laughs> Pasolini is, anyways. But. but then, yeah, I mean, it was so it was interesting because it 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 plays with this idea of uh, Johnny Truant too as far as like um his like so it's funny like uh i had planned on when we if if we had a talk um to you know apologize publicly apologize to mark danielewski to say i'm sorry that i didn't believe that this was literature that i only stated that it was art <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, I told you I made contact with uh, this group on Facebook. Um, yeah, that that is really into House of Leaves, and I guess Daniel Esky in general. But I've been uh, been doing messages back and forth with one of the guys I think who started it out, and he's he's met Mark. Um, so maybe I could ask him one day if if Mark will come on to your show. <laughs> I don't know if he I would. I kind of doubt it. But so, like, it is very. Apologize to him in person. <laughs> but I, I still wonder. There, it really is precise, and and so like the things that I was most angry about conveyed the structure of what he was putting. You know, so like this, the frustration that the people are feeling with this house, or. You know Johnny Truant's feeling with Zampano's work. Like I was feeling that same frustration. It's like the lab. I was experiencing the labyrinth as they were experiencing it, and so mm. like it was. It succeeded on that level as a work of literature. Um. And that when you're in the labyrinth, thinking you know when you're just on the ride. You don't have the context to stand back and and like this when I was I ended up um, just like going back uh, on that last ride on the ten speed and starting there and then ending up looping back around. I didn't read mm. I didn't read Pelafina's letters, but um, you read them before though. You said I did. And so there was a lot of things that I caught the second time around, and like Infinite Jest, how it loops around. This one really does. You, so you read you read the whole thing up to the appendices at the at the back. No, I got into I I think I I um, so whatever chapter that is, wait his last ride, his Star Child ride. Oh yeah yeah. I, I did that, and then I think Johnny Truant is after that where and then it i mean so yeah i went around and then i made it to about chapter 11 and then stopped 
again yeah. and decided yeah. I'm done. I can't. I, 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 I got to get out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> but at the beginning, there are things like there was there was portions that I I did not understand because he's being so vague, mm. and you can tell that oh, this is referring to the strange thing at the end where this woman is talking to the dying baby that's on life support or something and it's almost uh uh you know pointing that maybe this is johnny's twin or something that died at birth or something there's more twins in that book there's a there's more in there like you were saying that the if you are willing to go it's it's very precise and you're going to find more Mm, mm, yeah i think so just yeah, just the fact that he took ten years to to make it. I think it's um, like intricately structured. He 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 constructed it in a in a way that in, includes so many different ideas, and uh, he's really trying to um, do what you said last time is to create this this complete work of art. Um, there's something, the line that haunts me, I think, is that the one that Zampano says in the bits in the, appendix, in the appendix where he's saying, I should create this character that fully interrogates himself, right? He's talking nine months before Johnny's born, which makes the whole thing just really strange because you don't know who's writing who at that point then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But since then, I read this book called In the Land of Men, which was um, this this woman's memoir who was David Foster Wallace's secret girlfriend. Uh-huh. And it, it's so weird how it reminded me, like, David Foster Wallace ends up becoming this Johnny Truant person in my mind having done these things at the same time you know fully interrogating himself but being super vulnerable and then putting himself completely on the page yeah I think I think they uh, they probably both were like that like uh, MZD uh, as well like he definitely Johnny Truant is that's a part of his personality too. But this, the second time through, like you really, I guess you notice how precise the interruptions are and how, how structured it is. But then at the same time, like this, this objectification of women and his whole relationship to women really, is kind of striking and i wonder if that's more a product of the time you know the it it was a different time in the in the 90s than now me too yeah yeah like yeah he couldn't i don't know if he'd want to get away with that stuff now like if he was writing that book now but uh but even in the house of leaves um do you remember that part where it's talking about Ludes? Um, and that's a guy we didn't talk about last time when we had our recording. His, you his, were his suggesting test. that maybe Lude wasn't real. Yeah, that's another thing. Like I, I uh, it seems almost that he's a projection of Johnny. Like 
I think Johnny's a way more uh, complex character than just this kind of like a LA delinquent womanizer type. Like he's he's that, um, but he's also this very sensitive, quiet person who's really into literature and and you get that from uh, from the the Pelican poems that he writes at the end and also what his mom says about well, him. Well, I think it's, so, it's so interesting. <laughs> Zampano so, criticizes those poems at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He talks about those poems too. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's such a weird thing. Like it, it uh, enters into it. So, so he, I, it, it kind of seems like um, he's projecting. Uh, Johnny Truant is creating lewd as a projection of someone he wants to be like this uh this 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 crazy party goer and, and womanizer and drug taker and all of this like this completely um like popular person and extroverted and all of this and so a lot of a lot of the exploits that he's saying Lude has gotten into and maybe he's gotten into, I don't know if they're real or not, or just something he wants to project that part of him some, for some reason. And maybe that's just to get away from the image that his mother placed on him of this kind of sensitive, like uh, intellectual, uh, like reading through the dictionary and reading through Shakespeare and, and all of this, right. Which we know he was like that because, uh, from the Pelican poems and also from uh, Daniel Esky's own story of him tra uh, himself traveling in Europe, the same thing I think even with the Pelican pen, and and he only had uh, he had the tragedies of Shakespeare and the uh, and the King James version of the Bible, you know he's uh, so it's like a, maybe. It's a projection of what he wanted to be in a certain way, like this idea of this this totally masculine, um, hypersexual kind of attractive dude, you know. Um, so it's it's hard to say. But then I was just going to say, like the um, there's that whole section we also didn't talk about. It's it's almost like a page in length where it's talking about all the women that lewd slept with during that one crazy month that they both had and then it projects into the future and it says in a big list of all these bad things that happened to these women um and uh and then you read that and you have complete sympathy for these women they, they're no longer objects they're, they're like uh um like real people who are suffering and and maybe suffering because of the actions of of lude and johnny you know um, so, so I don't know. I think Danielski is conscious of that. I, I I agree. I as conscious as they could be. I mean, so like, uh, like I felt the same way in Infinite Jazz too, where there was just this point of view, kind of the the privileged white male point of view that we just take for granted at that time because that's the that's the normal point of view that um, we're used to. Mm -hmm. You know, whether you could go back to like uh, Philip Roth or Mailer or any of those guys. Yeah. It, um, yeah, of course, with, with, with uh, 
David Foster Wallace and that whole generation, including Daniel Esky, I guess, um, unlike the previous generations of authors, at least they've got this kind of like, uh, um, David Foster Wallace especially, like this kind of self-critical, self-reflective side to it. He's he's constantly conscious of how much of an asshole he might he might seem like, you know? Even like you see David Foster Wallace speak, and he's always he's always trying to humble himself, even though he's <laughs> David. You don't have to do that, you know. Like you always you already seem like such a nice guy, you know. But he he's constantly sort of bringing himself down, and uh, I guess that's finally that kind of i that those kind of ideas help to uh, drive him towards killing himself in the end, you know. I get like. Same sort of thing, maybe with uh, with Kurt Cobain, you know, like uh, that idea of not wanting to be a superstar, like having it go against the entire grain of who you think you are. Um, well, I think that was, with that was kind of an, the attitude at the time. Definitely, but like Dave wanted to be successful, and he wanted he wanted it's it's that contradiction. He wanted the celebrity, but he didn't want the cheapness of celebrity at the same time yeah yeah i think they're really hyper conscious of that well so like so i before we read house of leaves i spent a lot of time in dave's bio again i, I don't know why these works are making me think about the early 90s in my own young life and then just you know like how he made made his way through his most troubled years and stuff but like he he was such a such a great writer and he comes up with such amazing stuff but a lot of that i think is biographical is the more i get into his, his biography like the Oren stuff from infinite jest i mm -hmm. think is he you know he's this is the self interrogation where he you know he's making the cross and putting himself on there as far as so that's what's so amazing is that he still was able to say no this is fiction you know i'm i don't have a problem with drugs i'm you know i'm not an alcoholic this isn't about me this is stuff i picked up at mm. boston so it just it amazes me that he was able to hide so much of himself because you learn that like a lot of the stuff he was doing or writing about with stuff that he had he had done yeah i like i guess that just makes sense in general with uh with authors is that their characters at least in part are portions of their own personality right but that's interesting uh it's interesting what you said about oren so you have hal and oren and then you also have johnny truant and lude and there's some maybe there's some parallels there, you know, like it. You can imagine um, how wanting to become more like Oren, you know, um, in in Oren's own womanizing and kind of real extroverted kind of thinking about things. Although he's strange in his own ways, right? But uh, but then Johnny Truant projecting that out for himself it's like johnny truant being hal's 
projection of Orin or something. Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting because I, I don't think I would have... I mean, I was aware of this book, but I, I don't know that I would have... I was curious about it, but never enough to really give it a chance. Yeah, me too. I Like, I bought it. Um, I always thought about it. I, I, heard, I had people recommending it to me for quite a long time. But uh, so it was, always, it was always something that I kind of had kind of far down my list. And then I actually found it the last time I went to Canada, just in a used bookstore. And then, so I, I bought it. It was really cheap. And it's just been sitting on my shelf. Um, but uh, like I said before, it was, I, I always had this idea that it might be uh, – it's just gimmicky. Like it's just a guy playing, at, trying to be avant-garde. Well, when Silverblatt interviewed him in 2000, that's what he said. He's saying, you know, I, there was a time when there were a lot of books like this, and you don't know anything about them anymore because they were just a, like a moment in time, like a gimmick. Huh? Um, I mean, but they laughed because you know, so you could tell that he appreciated. Who, who said that? Daniel Oski said that? No, or the Michael, said that? yeah, Michael Silverblatt, when he was interviewing him, said. And, 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 and Mark laughed about that. Yeah, yeah. 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 Huh. Well, because he was talking about, um, maybe, I haven't read the guy, Barthes, Roland Barthes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he was doing similar stuff, and a lot of other people are doing similar stuff, but, you know, no one remembers any of the other people, because it was just... Roland Barthes was doing that stuff in fiction? I, like, I know his theory stuff, but I didn't know he wrote any fiction. Um, I I could be wrong. I mean, so I... He might have. Like, a, like I, I, let, me, let, me, let me check that. Like, that would be interesting <laughs> to read his fiction if, if he did write some. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um. Yeah, I, like, I, I studied him um, doing my undergrad... Oh. I, for whatever reason, confuse him with Bartholomew, who, and it's just because they have B names that are pronounced strange, but they probably don't have anything to do with each other. Oh no, he did. He did write some novels. Uh, two conflicting. Uh, yeah, a lover's discord fragments. Huh. Yeah, maybe maybe he that'd be interesting to read his novels. I didn't I had no idea about that. I think so Michael Silverblack, the host of Bookworm, was a student of his, I think. Well yeah, like his famous book is uh is Mythologies. Um that's his uh that's the book that everybody studies in cultural studies one oh one or something, you know. Yeah. And I think I've actually read that. Yeah. Yeah. Which is just, yeah, it's just a collection of essays, basically. Um, but, yeah, it'd be interesting if he did have some fiction. I'm not quite seeing if it is, or maybe this is. Fragments, some come from literature, some from his own philosophical thought. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure if this is a novel either. Anyway, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what uh, what that interviewer had in mind as, like, if 
saying a bunch of people wrote like that and then they everybody's forgotten about them. I, I wonder what these texts are. They'd probably still be interested. In <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was <laughs> intimating that maybe they weren't very good, that there was a gimmick, like you were saying, you know, mm. so that we have, you know, the, what is that? The, just the baseline noise, the cultural noise of the time that we can't really hear because we're just in the fish tank, you know, like, mm. you know, the moment is, and then you go back and you, it's like, boy, the seventies sure had an interesting sound or <laughs> the clothes sure were strange. Yeah. Well, even uh, like the house of leaves is like that too. Like even the list of, uh, of people who enter into it, like uh, Camille, yeah. um, Paglia, and uh, Harold Bloom, and Kubrick, and Stephen King, and all these people enter into it, and they all they all all sort of slot into one one period. Like it's it's definitely a '90s book, you know. Well, that's um, what was so funny because I was really rooting for the the tunnel, but then. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know why, but this was the same, you know, in my head, the same, the same time that I wanted to be in, so, and it really did feel like that. Like it's a '90s book through and through. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm so nostalgic for the 20th century now. You know, <laughs> I, I thought this decade would be a bit better, but it's turned out to be uh, quite a bit worse. <laughs> so. Uh, as far as it is now, you know, like maybe it's going to change again. I hope it does. Uh, but uh, but you think of this century so far, like from nine eleven onward. Um, it's uh, I don't know. I I guess there's always shitty things that happen in the world, but uh, yeah, I don't know. We veered too close to reality. Yeah. <laughs> well, so that that was what like the spring, the spring choice to, in my head was like, okay, we're gonna need an escape, but something kind of that we can use to, you know, to be in a different escapey space, you know, and be able to. So like that's what was interesting about the the camera on where it definitely starts in this place of. You know, it's like quarantine and um, like the it all the early plague stuff that he writes about. It's like, oh, yeah, wow. You know, so it, it talks about where the plague started and how it got to Florence and what it was doing and what the symptoms were. And so it felt like all the different conversations we were having, you know, going around the table saying, this is what's happening here. This is what I'm mm. seeing, you know, so. But then after that, like they needed escape. And so they went off and then they're telling you know, the stories are all really interfacing with um, you know, pleasure and and uh, like it's the kind of Shakespearean stuff where people are able to succeed by their wit. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And so you know, it you know, the comedy of errors situations over and over and over again. But it's it's a lot. It's like it. There's a lot of stories. And you can just drop the needle and listen to any old time, but to like really like study the stories, I don't know if I would have the headspace to do that. That's kind of how I was taking it where 
the stories just start bleeding into one another. Yeah, I really want to read that actually. Um, yeah, that I have the I have Chaucer's book, uh, Canterbury Tales, but I, on my shelf. But it's in it's in the Middle English, right? Which which is maybe better. I mean, <laughs> I know it's kind of it's kind of daunting. Like it's 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 pretty different than how we speak today. Um, but uh, you can still do it. You know, like there's a little. On each page, there's a kind of translation set on the bottom, like just uh, footnotes on the bottom that make some sort of translations for for the really obscure words. But um, I think you could do it. Like I think if you had enough time, gave yourself uh, gave yourself the time and and took some effort, you could you could read it pretty clearly after after a little while. Um, and and it'd be fun. It'd be fun to read it like that. Uh, but yeah, th so that's that's another one that I want to read, and then uh, I've got Spencer too, like Spencer's uh, the Fairy Queen, um, which is a big one. Hmm. But all all these all these are great to read, just because, like you're saying, they they were so influential, and they continue to be influential through other authors, you know, um, even though they might not be mentioned. Uh, by themselves, but they they influence authors who influence authors who, and it comes right down to the the present moment. All these, all these very new books that we've been reading. Um, so I read uh, I read Ovid again, the Metamorphosis. I was reading it to my kids, so we, we finished the whole thing, um, and that's a great one too. It's it was fun reading that after. Uh, after we read uh, the overstory, right? Yeah, and it would fit in anywhere in my own brain right now. Because the other thing I was thinking about was uh, I'm just having a hankering to maybe do the Odyssey. Yeah, that's a good one too. Um, uh, yeah, I just I just read the Odyssey not too long ago. Either in a good translation. A good um, poetic translation, just a, a, one of the newer translations. I can't remember the guy's name, uh, but that's yeah, it's great to it's great to read at any time. Metamorphosis, um, the one that I'm reading, it's a uh, it's a Penguin classic book, and it's written out in prose, um, so it's easier to read. I think I I want to read it again in a poetic translation just to. Uh, just to get the kind of feel of it, but um, but you read this book and and it's apparently a huge influence on the Decameron as well, and Chaucer and Shakespeare and everybody else. You know, well you can see it with these other authors. The Romeo and Juliet story comes from this and everything else. Um, and it's it's a book like you said, uh, Decameron is too like really raunchy in parts. Like all this, <laughs> the battle scenes are insane. Like just. Uh, gruesome gore described in total detail and uh and then there's all these parts on all this taboo sexuality incense incest of various forms and like all kinds of different um homosexual or bisexual relationships and like uh bestiality every, <laughs> everything is in this one uh, but there's a lot of really beautiful stuff too 
Well, so that was what was interesting about Boccaccio is that he that he wrote just this one work, like he was like a one hit wonder. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to figure out. He really looked up to someone who was older and more uh, oh, bona fide, um, and basically his this mentor said. Yeah, your your stuff is really super juvenile, and you probably should stop. Stop. <laughs> oh, but I can't think of what the. I mean, he's a famous guy from that time period. Yeah, we should look him up just to see. It would yeah. be interesting. Uh, let me see. Oh. Yeah, Petrarch. Petrarch. That's what I was thinking too. Is it? Is it Petrarch? I think so. Yeah. Okay. I was thinking it might be him. Yeah, and so, he, yeah. So, so, and then Petrarch uh, is deeply in, influenced by Dante. That's another, that's another link along the chain. Yeah. And I haven't ever done the whole Divine Comedy, but I've done the Inferno, which is very good. Yeah. Uh, uh, I would say. Um, I would say the. Uh, Paradiso is, is my favorite. Um, a lot of people don't read that ever, you know, and I don't know why. Um, and if you read Philip K. Dick, he, that was his favorite as well. He loved the Paradiso because it, it ties everything together. It's the most, it's the most beautiful. It's the most just filled with light. But I, 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 uh, I can't understand people who just who just want to read the Inferno, you know, or or even uh, Purgatory. Like you have to get up, you have to go through the inferno, <laughs> up the mountain, and then into the stars. Like if you don't get into the stars, you're you're uh, you're still stuck in in the in the pit.
got to 